Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is a beatitude, a statement of blessing, a hope and a promise. What could be better when we are in mourning than that we shall be comforted and God shall wipe away every tear? The very promise itself is something of a comfort. But the Beatitudes which we've heard today and which begin the Sermon on the Mount are more than promises for the weakest among us, those who mourn, and the peacemakers, the meek and the merciful. The Beatitudes are more than that. They're they're really the, the constitution of a new humanity, of a new community that God brings into being in Jesus. And they function much as the Torah or the law functioned for Israel. Remember the people that came out of bondage in Egypt and who remembered that God had brought them out of bondage in Egypt were uh, almost a stateless people, an underclass. They were known as something like the Apiru, which later became Hebrews. They were brought into the wilderness, and in the wilderness they were made into a people. They were given the gracious gift of identity. That's what the Torah was. That's what the law was. It said, You are the people who love the Lord your God above all, who turn to the Lord your God, who remember that it was God who brought you out of Egypt. You are not like the other peoples whom you encounter along the way. The community that you have in the law is founded on God's principles. It's founded as a community that cares especially for the weakest among you, for the widow and the orphan and the poor and the wayfarer and the stranger. But in time, as we know the story goes, the people may have paid service in some way to the law, but time after time after time, they forgot that their life was dependent on God. And the prophets came and recalled them back to to the source of their being, the ground of their life, and said, remember, it was God, the living God, who made you and who brought you out of Egypt and constituted you as a community that is different, that cares for the weakest among you, and that looks to God for life. And again and again and again, the people forgot and turned away and, 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 and turned the law into something different. Instead of a gift of grace, it became almost a tool of power in some instances. And so by the time of Jesus, you have a rich young ruler, a man who has leisure and opportunity and means to keep all of the 600 and something laws. And he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the law. Obey the Torah. That's the source of your grace. And he says, I've done that since I was born. And Jesus says, well, then sell all you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. Do something that is not within your own power to do. And the man walked away with a heavy heart, at least at that point. So Jesus, in effect, offers a new constitution for humanity, a new constitution for a nude humanity and renewed relationship with God, and a constitution that cannot possibly be achieved by human effort, but righteousness or right relation that can only be received in the nature of a gift. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit can't conjure up the kingdom of heaven. It's a gift. Blessed 
are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. No amount of willing righteousness will give it to us. It is in the nature of a gift. And so Matthew constructs his gospel to make clear that this Sermon on the Mount is like the giving of a new Torah, the completion, the fulfillment of the Torah. And these commandments only make sense in right relationship by the sheer, unmerited, unearned, undeserved grace of God. The foundation of this new community of which we are a part is the one we celebrate with the saints of ages past, most especially those perhaps who have shaped our own lives. We're celebrating today a community of the living and the dead across the world and down the ages, one that is different than the world around us, one that cares for the weakest among us, one that understands that all of life is itself a gift. And we can, well, we are continuing to try and live by the grace of God, so they who have gone before are living fully in that grace, which is the very definition of our hope. I have an image of this reality of the communion of saints, this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, this renewed constitution for a new and hopeful way of living. And I'd like to share with you these this, this notion of the communion of saints is, is really a matter more of intuition than it is of intellect. It's more an intuition that flows from understanding the giftedness of life. And the image I'd like to share with you is something I haven't thought about for many, many years, and it's the church of my childhood. Uh, it was called St. Mary the Virgin in the village of Little Baddo, not nearly as picturesque as it sounds, trust me. <laughs> But the church was quite extraordinary, and the more I think about it, the more I recognize how extraordinary it was. It, I can now think back and recognize that it was probably something of a high church. Uh, the rector played the organ. I sang in the uh, choir of men and boys until I went off to boarding school at the age of, at the age of nine. Um, and I sang in that choir usually twice on Sunday, so I had lots of time to reflect on, on what was going on in the church. And I remember the font, a huge stone font that was by the door of the church. I don't remember baptisms because they usually took place on Saturdays, although I must have been present at the baptism of my youngest brother in that church. I don't remember it. And then I remember as you, as you came in the wall on the left, uh, had a fresco that had been discovered uh, while we were there and was being restored. And it had been painted over during the English Civil War and, and, uh, and, and rediscovered in the 60s. And then further along, above the pulpit, there was a most unusual thing. There was a, up in the wall, carved into the stone, there was a tiny little spiral staircase for a tiny little person. We were told never to go up there, so of course we did. Um, and and uh, it's what choir boys do. And, and there was a, just enough room for someone to perch. And the story was that, I've never seen anything like it in any other church, the story was that there was a, a leper in the village in the 16th century, and that that stone staircase in place was perched so that the leper of the village could worship with the community of the village and, and be somewhat separated but somewhat present, caring for the weakest among them. And then uh, the thing that's perhaps most extraordinary, uh, we sat in the choir and I looked at the altar, and behind the altar, just off to the right a little bit, a small but heavy oak door uh, with bands of steel or whatever it was, iron, and a big lock. And it was only about four and a half, maybe five feet tall. 
And we didn't use it. But if we did use it, it opened into the churchyard. It opened into the cemetery. It opened, in a sense, into the greater community of the saints in light. And in order to get there, you had to bow low if you were going to use that door. And, and, and bow low, remembering the source of life. Uh, it's not so much an image of heaven for me, but a sense of the whole universe present in worship. Our lives were marked by entry into the church through baptism and entry into that greater but invisible communion through death. I doubt I could have articulated at the time, but it all just made sense in a way that was more intuition than intellect. So since those days, I thought a lot more about the communion of saints, something of a professional hazard if one serves one of the great parishes of the church called All Saints. And, and I find that my sense of the greater reality in which we live is confirmed over and over, but perhaps never more so than in the midst of a requiem on All Saints Sunday. Those of us who choose to follow Jesus and who see the way of life in his self-giving love and in his absolute integrity, we are part of something, a story that makes sense of our lives that makes sense of the whole world. And so today we remember, especially those who have gone before, and we pray requiem for them, that they may rest in peace and rise in glory. And we also recognize anew our own sense of loss in the face of death. And we recall our own dependence on God alone for life. So we come into the church through baptism and live our lives surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses there will come times for every one of us when we bow low in humility, remembering the source of our life, receiving it as a gift, as if passing through a short door into a greater reality. So the promise is blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The constitution of this communion of saints is one that cares for the weakest and receives comfort and all the blessings of life as a gift. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In silence, let us pray. Mm -hmm.